Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person deeply concerned about privacy. The author of the book, Surveillance, Surveillance Capitalism, says, quote, they know everything about us, but we know very little about them. And so on today's show, we're going to be talking about food and data. And, and we've got quite a list of guests to join us today. Uh, Lori Wayne is with the Open Food Network, and uh, we'll have Jamie Gearing later on. He's For two decades, he's been helping farmers build a more open food system. We have Dr. Akita with um, the Purdue University Egg Information Lab. And then we're going to wrap up the program with an urban farmer from South Minneapolis. So welcome to Food Freedom Radio. And welcome right now, Lori Wayne. Um, thank you for joining us, Lori. Hi, Laura. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm, the, uh, I'm a former organic farmer and permaculturist, uh, and I've been uh, working supporting food systems and farmers for about the last 15 years. I've started food hubs and farmers markets, and I'm really, really interested in uh, food production in small communities, both rural and urban. Um, and uh, as a former technologist, too, I'm interested in how we can use technology uh, in a, you know, in a benevolent way <laughs> to help communities feed themselves right. um, with the sort of extra benefit of helping the earth. Yeah, because uh, so this concept of food and data, um, mm. how do those intersect? Oh, yeah. Well, uh Farmers uh, and food producers, kind of everybody in the food system is constantly uh, producing data. And, you know, when I talk to other people in technology, we kind of joke that it's this, you know, invisible magical force, you know, like gravity um, <laughs> that's just like, you know, sort of all around us. Like, and for a farmer, that could be sales data. It can be crop planning data. Um, and uh, we're, you know, what we're Seeing is that the systems that support commerce and movement of food around a food system, even if it's you know through a food bank or you know just any any time we have a relationship in a food system, there's data that gets passed back and forth, and um, there's not often an explicit understanding or agreement on who owns that data and who can do what with it. So. When technology gets involved, we often have this situation where the folks who are providing the technology are using the data for their own purposes, um, usually without uh, the generators or the, you know, sort of owners of the data um, knowing or understanding what's happening with that. So there's uh, this idea of transparency um, is really lacking in a lot of our you know, sort of you know, technology-enabled food systems processes. Um, I, and as a result, people do uh, naughty things. Yeah, naughty things. Well, I've heard some people talk about it. It's like um, uh, us as humans are becoming the commodity. Some people even say it's like technology is almost a new form of colonialism. Do you agree mm -hmm, with any of that yeah. type of thinking? Yeah, it definitely, uh, I mean, there's there's this thing with capitalism that everything is, you know, everything can be monetized is, you know, um, you know, should be monetized. And uh, there's, you know, it's absolutely true that, you know, data is used 
uh, you know, all over, every, like, all over, uh, to sell us things or to sell, you know, other people things about us. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, a it's a very, uh, interesting, um, force sort of, you know, in our lives and in a, a farmer's lives. And, you know, often people in a food system, like the last thing they're thinking about is this, you know, kind of esoteric, uh, you know, ne- sometimes nefarious activity around, you know, sort of what they're doing to feed their neighbors. You know, they just want to feed their neighbors. But um, we and the Open Food Network, which is open source and very values-based and ethically based, uh, we're very, very concerned with uh, what we call data sovereignty or, you know, the, um, the idea that people should be aware and in charge of, you know, every aspect of their participation in a technological system that supports food systems. Data sovereignty, food freedom, yeah. data sovereignty. So there is a connection between um, yeah, data sovereignty, data freedom, and food freedom. Huge, it really is. Yeah. yeah, and it's also an invisible, so it's kind of hard to see. So on on your uh, <laughs> website, it says food unincorporated. Sometimes the best way to fix a system is to start a new one. So yeah. what are you doing at the Open Food Network? Well, the Open Food Network is uh, what we call it a, is a digital commons or a place for uh, producers and shoppers, but also hubs and markets and like really everybody to come together to support uh, a local or regional food system. Um, the, uh, what, you know, the, the sort of the, the thing that we're trying, we're trying to rebuild or the thing that we're trying to replace is this uh, supply chain where just a few multinational or, you know, ginormous corporations are, you know, sort of owning everything about uh, how people get fed. Um, and what we see is, a, you know, a local farmer who, you know, is forced or willingly goes into a system like that, like between the farmer and the eater, 93% of the, you know, economic value uh, is extracted by people who aren't in that food system. <laughs> so, you know, I think colonialism is a great word to use. It's also, you know... Uh, extractive agriculture and extractive technologies go hand in hand. So um, the new paradigm or the new idea that we have uh, is this idea really of uh, shared um, and personal relationships within uh, a food shed that are, um, you know, sort of at this level of you know, local, whatever that's defined as, subsidiarity. And we want to keep uh, energy, uh, ecosystem services, money, and relationships at a human scale. At a human scale. Um, and, yeah. Yeah, so, like, for instance, everything um, on your website, um, all the shopping and pavement information is private. Correct, and, yeah. And, and yeah. Oh, I remember. I mean, this was a long time ago, and I so I don't. I'm not I'm not even on the, know the person. But it was like, oh, and then once I do this operation, I'm going to get everyone's information, and I know how much more valuable that's going to be because I'm going to know all the people who buy grass-fed beef, and then I can, you know. So this this idea of not mm-hmm. treating customers as commodities, but as neighbors and friends and people. Right. Right. Yeah. It's this idea of you know market intelligence and what happens with it. 
um, and we're, um, yeah, it, it absolutely is about human relationships and, and human scale, yeah. Human scale. And so this is also global. So how does, I mean, uh, there's openfoodnetwork.org is global and .net is your organization. But what's the, yeah. um, how, how are those two connected? Yeah, we actually, there are expressions of the Open Food Network, which is developed as a commons. So we have people all over the world pitching in to create this program. And then there are people in 20 different countries who have, you know, their uh, expression of the Open Food Network that, that is, you know, appropriate to their uh, economy and their culture. So it's, you know, language and currency and, you know, sort of everything about how people do business. Um, so it's, it's very customizable and very uh, personalizable. Um, but also we have this idea that we're sharing, um, we're sharing the, the work for uh, the advantage of everyone. Uh, I think if you, uh, if you look at our values and what we're, you know, what we're trying to achieve, um, really, you know, software isn't anywhere on the list. You know, we're about, you know, regenerating ecosystems and regenerating human relationships and keeping power um, local and, uh, you know, we really are about this idea of, you know, sort of moving into the future in a way that, uh, you know, sort of, you know, kinder and um, more, uh, I hate that word sustainable, but I'm going to use it, you know, more sustainable. Yeah, so something that, that works for OFN future does. generations. Yeah. So we've got about two minutes left. What else would you like to say? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> you know, we're... Uh, as a, I guess I would like to say that, you know, as a nonprofit trying to change the world like this, like you're doing too, uh, it can be really difficult to um, get, get across this idea of, you know, building a digital commons. Um, and we're, you know, I often run into folks who don't see past the software. Um, and we're, focusing on the software because it's, you know, sort of the biggest pain point. Um, but we're also just so jealously guarding access to people's data um, that it's, uh, I mean, it can be really a challenge because there are gray areas too, right? Like a researcher comes to us and, you know, with, they may have the best intentions and, you know, they want aggregate data about, you know, a certain type of sales. And we have to think really hard about, you know, how we uh, ask people to opt in or not. Right. So, so uh, we're going to need to take a break. It's a big topic. Yeah, it's a huge topic, but I appreciate you just giving us a little bit of a view. And then what's your website if people want to learn more about you? And Yeah, thanks. It's openfoodnetwork.net. Openfoodnetwork.net. Agency yeah. Digital Commons. <laughs> um, Lori Wayne, mm -hmm. I thank you so much. We're going to take a break. We're coming back. We'll be talking to uh, Jamie Gehring, um, also working on um, food agency and the connection between food agency and technology. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Well, 
flying out like endless rain into a paper cup. They slither wildly as Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and uh, we're talking about food and data and technology um, and what is the connection between um, uh, data sovereignty and digital commons and farming um, sustainably. And and uh, we've had uh, last segment we were talking with the Open Food Network, and right now we're joined by Jerry Jamie Gearing, um, and he's with Farm OS. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Uh, yeah, hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. Thanks. So what is Farm OS? What does that mean? Uh, Farm OS, it's um, for farming open source, um, which is um, open source is a kind of a, an ethos in um, technology development where um, it, it a lot of times has the, is taken to be synonymous with free, um, but it's also um, it, it allows um, users to have more power ultimately over the um, software that they run. Um, and so that's something that we like to extend to farmers um, in particular, um, you know, because they're such a vital part of our whole economy and how people eat and culture and everything else that goes along with it. So I know um, one... So and we, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm really looking forward to soon we'll be able to do in-person interviews again because it's so hard on the phone. We don't see each other, but... <laughs> But I, I no, that's cool. It's cool. Um, but you were writing um, in one of your blogs. It says like, "Cold is law." It's not some magical font of freedom, but rather a tool by which those in power can regulate and control our body politic. Um, what does that mean? Does does that how does how does technology um, um, mm-hmm. short shift some people's freedom? Um, well, you know, it's um, you know, there's a there's kind of a misconception I think sometimes that. You know, technology is this kind of, um, you know, impassive force in the world that, you know, is is entirely rational and all. Um, You know, but real human beings are making decisions every time that they um, write a line of code. Um, And those decisions may be benign. They may be absent-minded. They may have a lot of thought behind them. But one way or the other, um, you know, there are decisions that increasingly affect um, you know, who can sell on a market, who can, um, you know, what price they get on that market, um, uh, you know, who has title to a certain piece of land. Um, you know, there's a lot of, it, it, it can certainly bleed into, um, you know, actual, you know, legal realms uh, pretty easily. But, um, but really, it, it kind of governs everything that we do um, increasingly. And so having, um, Transparency built into how that's done, how that how those lines of code are, are written, um, and you know being able to revise those lines of code. That that's really what gets back to the you know the heart of open source, like I mentioned before. And do you think open source can be a tool to help um, small farmers and more to increase the sustainability to to change our food system? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it can certainly be a tool. You know, I think. Um, you know, as with all tools, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into, you know, who's wielding that tool. But, um, you know, I think, I think because, you know, it does promote greater transparency, um, you know, to, and, and more freedom for people to, you know, do with that, with that code what they want, um, you know, I think it, it enables a lot more avenues for farmers who perhaps want to do more 
sustainable growing practices or, um, you know, want to serve, you know, more diverse communities, um, you know, they're able to, the more, the more choices that they're given and the more power they're, they're given to, um, you know, stand by their choices, um, I think that improves our whole, our whole growing community, you know, both producers and consumers alike. Yes. Do you want to share the story you share on your website about um, you took kind of took for granted that um, unless you were born into a multi-generational farm, you could not um, take on the financial burden of running a farm full time? Um, yeah, I mean, you, you write a little bit about that. Can, can you elaborate on that? Yeah. 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 So, you know, I grew up, um, well, I grew up in New Jersey, which is not really thought of as a very agricultural State, but um, I grew up in a rural part of New Jersey um, and worked on a farm through, throughout high school. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But it was, um, you know, it was not something I saw. It was a, it was a small family farm, um, you know, by, at least by, by some standards. That, that's, you know, can be debated depending how, you know, some small farms are like, you know, literally like a, a garage. But, um you know, it was a small family farm and, um, you know, they were, you know, they had land that they had, um, passed, you know, through their family for generations and, um, you know, and still, you know, still struggled to like, um, you know, just to, just to keep the farm going. Um, you know, and, and it was just, I just really, you know, came to witness that it was just not, it didn't seem like there was, you know, there was a good wage in being, you know, and being, you know, kind of uh, just a farm hand. Um, and at the same time, it didn't seem like the kind of thing that you could easily just start up, you know, um, you know, in one lifetime, you know, start a, a, a viable farm um, to, to do that. And so, you know, I've kind of taken that and I've, I've sort of tried to pivot that and, and try to take that those assumptions that I had as, as, um, you know, as a teenager and in my twenties, um, and start to, you know, rethink those assumptions and think, well, you know what, what, you know, what were the forces that were, you know, transpiring to make, um, you know, to close those doors, um, when I was younger and, you know, what kinds of ways can we, you know, empower more, um, you know, more just food system that's, you know, is, is open to, to way more people, despite you know, right. where they may come from. Right, because, I mean, wouldn't that be nice if we could all just have our own jobs if we wanted this, wanted these jobs? And and so do you have hope that um, that with open source technology tools, it can help individuals create food businesses? Is that the, that the, is that the um, hope behind all this work? Yeah, I hope so. You know, I, I look at it as... Um, you know, it's not. Um, I don't think technology is going is going to you know be the you know the savior of you know some of these ills in our our food system. Um, but what I do see is I see it as a a shift in dynamics. Um, you know, and somewhat of you know whenever there's a kind of, for lack of a better word, disruptive um, technology um, or tech or a group of technologies being being employed in an industry. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, kind of free play for, for, for the rules to change a little bit. Um, you know, so I think if there are, you know, I'm trying at least to be one of those people who, you know, tries to, 
um, you know, takes this moment of kind of disruption <laughs> and use that to kind of tip the scales, I think, towards, you know, a more, a more just food system, um, you know, while at the same time being, I think, aware that there, you know, are people who, you know, you know, maybe not the, you know, mustache twirling uh, villains of the world, but, but people who, you know, are not as concerned about those things who are going so, to... Jamie um, Gearing, and if, to if people want to get more information about you, they can go to dot com. So thank you so much, Jamie, for being with us. Um, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with uh, the Purdue... Uh, Purdue's, um Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and on today's show, we're talking about food and data. And joining us right now is Dr. Akita Ratuli, and she is with Resistant, ResilientFoods.org. She's also the director of the Purdue University's Egg Information Labs. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Thank you so much. Thank I'm you. Happy to be here. Yeah. So your expertise is data science and digital agriculture. Um, so what does that mean? Sure. Yeah. So um, my work is actually sort of thinking about the intersection between informatics, which includes data science and digital agriculture and agriculture itself. And so a lot of my work really pivots around this idea of designing technologies to accommodate different types of food stakeholders, needs, capabilities, ways of behaving, and thinking about how we can sort of balance those with the needs and constraints of, you know, the natural environment, plants, animals, and ecosystems. So how can we be more thoughtful in our design of technology to be able to support people throughout the food system, from farmers all the way to consumers. So um, several people have been writ- have written, like um, there's a book, um, Surveillance Capitalism, and in that book she says, they know everything about us, but we know very little <laughs> about them. <laughs> yeah. Is that part of the problem, um, is the sense of sovereignty, data sovereignty? and? Yeah, that's a that's a pretty big issue within um, within any sort of data rich ecosystem. Right now, there is a growing interest in agriculture to collect data, to use data, to be able to design technologies to help different folks throughout the food system. And right now, I would say the onus is on designers and people within the technology space to make sure that we do not fall. Um, for some of the challenges that we've seen in the other spaces. And so that typically involves, you know, trying to make sure that when we're designing technology, that we're designing trusted spaces. And so a lot of my work tries to think about how we can actually create tools that allow for folks to have agency and insight and control over their data, have uh, feelings of ownership over what they're doing. Um, And sometimes that also includes doing things like building things the open source way. So one way of empowering people to have agency is not just to have uh, control over their data, but also control over how things are built. And so that's really sort of the open source way of production. So a lot of the work that we do is uh, in building open source software and open access to different kinds of data sets. Cool. Um, so um, tell us a little bit about the Egg Information Lab. For sure. So um, we do three, three sorts of things. Um, the first one is really trying to think about uh, human-centered design, participatory design, ways in which we can work with different communities of practice to be able to identify technologies that people need and then actually work through the problem with different folks to actually then do co-design 
Um, the second area of work that we do is in is sort of a little bit more on the data science end, and it's really trying to think about how we can create different kinds of data management, information architectures, um, and then rules around data sharing and data use to be able to allow for us to be able to engage in more data activities within agriculture. And so that's a little bit about where my trust work comes into play, but then also some of my more structured computer science work. Um, but at the end of the day, really, that work is really just trying to think about how can we structure farm data in such a way that, for example, it matches when a farmer enters stuff in their own notebook, right? How do we make sure that we're structuring farm data in a way that matches the mental models of people who are actually managing um, agricultural data on the reg? Um, and then the last area of work is really just the good old-fashioned software engineering. We like to build things. Um, and we like to build things that people want and need and in ways that are thoughtful and empathetic. And so, um, you know, we actually then go ahead and build out different kinds of tools to help people um, either A, adopt different kinds of sustainable agricultural practices, or B, and I think this is sort of like a large, largely growing part of my lab now, is in helping people be able to coordinate local food systems. So uh, a big project that we have going on right now is thinking about informatics for community food resilience. So informatics for community food resilience. Yeah. Uh, you know, so these things are actually, they're, they're actually some stuff that really affects the way people eat and the way we produce food and, and our mm-hmm. environment and water quality and soil quality. But how does it do that? Um, so are you referring to the way in which um, food systems work? Or yeah, the way, in which yeah. We- the way food systems work. And then, and so, I mean, also, there, is there a potential when you, when you uh, own the food system and you ground it in some type of ethics, then it creates one system. If it's only grounded in extractive economic thinking, it would create another system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, maybe I'll, I'll twist the question a little bit and talk about it from somewhere that I understand a little bit better, and that's from the technology perspective. Right, so when you're designing technology, we talk about ideas like algorithmic bias. How do you design tools that may or may not inadvertently bias a certain kind of way of thinking or a type of system? And so if I think about your question from that lens, right, when I'm thinking about the design of technology, the, the, the sort of the onus is on designers to be able to make sure that when we're designing tools, that they're actually helping people create the food systems that they desire. And so this is part of why I take this participatory approach to research and design is because then that way we can work with specific communities to say, okay, so you're interested in creating a decentralized food web in which different kinds of actors are able to sort of have ownership or co-ownership over different parts of the food system. What are the tools you need? And then the tools that we build are to be able to help, for example, people to self-organize within a particular food, local food system or to be able to co- coordinate local food activities. And this is something that we started actually as a project um, during the early days of the pandemic last year as a way of trying to see if we could actually help people create the kind of food system that they wanted when we were experiencing these sort of like massive um, food system disruptions last year. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. Just a little yes, bit. yes, it does. Yes, it does. And so uh, right now you um, are doing a, some a, a COVID uh, qualitative research study. You want to talk about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So this is, again, building off of what we started last year. Um, but this year we're actually focusing a little bit more on um, specific regions. So right now we're actually interviewing farmers and farm supporters as we speak. And so if you're a farmer or you work as a food coordinator, whether you're a farmer's market manager or 
um, you know, you run a food hub, a food pantry, or are in distribution, um, we're basically looking to talk to folks like you. And so uh, we have a sign-up link for folks who are interested in participating in an interview on our website, which is resilientfood.org. Um, and we're mostly hoping to make sure that, you know, going back to some of the stuff that I said earlier, um, that we're taking into account the actual needs, challenges, and desires of people within the food system to make sure that we can then develop the types of technologies that um, that folks are interested in and desire and taking into account, um, you know, all of the really tricky things around uh, data sharing and data use within uh, within our food system. Yeah, so um, when it comes to um, like this idea of food freedom, I love the name food freedom, right? So mm-hmm. is there is there an Absolutely. idea about agency and freedom with technology and sort of, um, it, yes. it's, it's our sovereignty. It's Yes, yes, absolutely. Data sovereignty is totally a thing, right? Um, when we think about what it means to have sovereignty within data, it means being able to know where your data is, who's using it, who's accessing it, um, where it's going, right? We see challenges with respect to this when it comes to personal data in sort of more consumer-facing applications. And one of the things that we're trying to make sure that we, again, trying to make sure that we don't inadvertently fall um, fall for some of these issues within ag is trying to think about how we make sure that farm data stakeholders, food data stakeholders have that same sovereignty. And so the way in which we, uh, in which I typically articulate it is that, you know, we want to be able to cultivate trust within technology within technology mediated food systems right technology is just a tool for us to be able to do the real work which is growing and eating food and so how can we make sure that when we're cultivating trust that people feel you know there's trust that they trust the process of technology being built but then they also feel like the people who are building the tech are can be trusted with their data and so a lot of trust, it turns out, is not something that you can just blockchain away, but it's something that is actually a conversation, is a social process that requires people to be able to talk to each other. So in the same way that we talk about knowing your farmer in the food system, I think it's also important to know your developer uh, when it comes to thinking about the tools that we build for the food system. Um, that, that was beautiful. I, I really love what you just said there. <laughs> and so uh, tell us about how you participated in the Open Food Network and, and what that means, because it's both global and national and um, so what is this idea of this yeah. open food network? Yeah, so I'm, I'm only just beginning to learn a little bit more about it. And I was fortunate to have met Lori basically last year, virtually meet Lori last year during the pandemic. Um, I was starting up the Informatics Community Food Resilience Project. And we were, you know, basically trying to make sure that we weren't reinventing the wheel. And when I found the open food network online, I was pretty excited because this is, in effect, an open source food marketplace that is supposed to be able to help give agency to different types of food distributors, food system stakeholders. And so the spirit of the open food network is very much aligned with the type of work that I do because it is a, it is a tool that is open source. It's supposed to be community shepherded. Um, and, you know, it also then faces some of the same challenges that I see in other spaces, which means it does need champions on the ground. And Lori is just that, right? She has been a champion for the Open Food Network in the U.S. And I'm really hoping that she's able to reach out to more folks who are interested in actually joining the platform. Because, um, you know, like with many of these open source projects, our power is in numbers. And so if you're just one person on your own trying to put put, put, a, put a tool out in the world, um, it becomes a little challenging. But um you know, the more people that are interested in using and contributing to these tools, the better and stronger they become. And so I would I would very much encourage folks to get involved on that front, yeah, so um, as I am trying to as well. 
So like one of the basic values of the Open Food mm-hmm. Network, obviously open and collaboration, but also privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. your information is not kept in the system. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we're not tracking you. Yeah. You're not going to, you know, your food purchases um, can be private. Yeah. yeah. And I and that's something that I wish more tools were upfront about describing, right? Um, and it's funny, recently we've noticed that on the App Store, at least in the iOS ecosystem, so it's on your Apple phones, you'll notice that there's a little descriptor of the privacy issues related to an app that you've downloaded. So if you go into the App Store, and I don't know if people have tried this, you can see what data is being pulled about you. So it'll show you, for instance, um, you know, with um, some app, let's say the potato app, It'll show you if it's pulling your location, your um, personal information, your financial information, what it's pulling. And I feel like that sort of transparency is valuable. And I, and I think it's important for us to have that sort of transparency within uh, tools for, um, for the food system. And so um, one of the things that I also think needs to be done in hand in hand with transparency is and also making sure that we are accountable in our use of um, different kinds of agricultural data. And I think, again, that's something where the Open Food Network has a pretty good foundation for trying to help us think about some of the ways in which we can, in practice, um, demonstrate that we are being transparent and accountable in our handling of, uh, of, of food data. So last, people data. last minute of the segment, um, anything else you'd like to say? Um, I think I'm mostly just excited by the enthusiasm that people are showing and thinking about uh, technology for food systems. I'm particularly heartened, I would say, by the growing interest in taking more participatory approaches to working with each other um, to be able to build technologies because, you know, the, the sort of sure shot way, I think, to be able to build things that are more empathetic, that are more thoughtful, and that are um, respectful of different people's needs is to include more types of people in the actual development process. And so taking this sort of inclusive approach to development is something that I'm very excited about. Um, and I leave that as an invitation to folks who are listening that, you know, if you care about technology and food systems, then, you know, when you see a piece of technology that you are interested in using, try to find out how it's built, who's building it and get involved, um, especially if it's an open source tool. Um, own our so, food system, yeah. own our technology, own our own lives and have agency. So I thank you so much. And for more information, go to resilientfood.org, resilientfood.org. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund. And yes, it's supposed to be a nice sunny weekend. Spring is in, in the air. Um, and we've had a fascinating show talking about food, data, and technology. Uh, we were joined by um, Lori Wayne with the Open Food Network, uh, Jamie Gearing with uh, uh, Farm OS, and Anita with um, uh, with the um, Purdue University's Egg Information Labs and ResilientFood.org. And now we're going to talk with uh, an urban farmer, Gloria Icono. Um, hi, Gloria. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I run an urban farm in South Minneapolis. Um, I do a uh, CSA, a very small CSA. Um, I also sell at a wonderful farmer's market called the Four Sisters Farmer's Market. And um, I also do a virtual farmer's market through Open Food Network. I have a, a shop set up there. 
um, that I do online orders uh, that kind of, my idea with it is to kind of fill in the gaps where uh, CSA and farmer's markets fall short, you know, like um, you, you with farmer's markets, you harvest a bunch of stuff and bring it to the market, not knowing if it's going to sell. So having a virtual market, um, you harvest to order. And I think that's kind of a smarter way to do things. Um, and also the CSA is kind of a, a barrier to accessibility with its high cost. Um, and also people sometimes get more than they need. Um, so with the virtual market, you can kind of uh, order more or order in the quantities that you need um, and just select the items that you know how to cook with. Right. Okay. So why is open source important? Um, well, I think that with local food systems, um, um, we what we're really trying to do is create a cultural shift um, that's more of a cooperative model versus um, kind of a dominance model. Um, that we're used to seeing. Um, So using something like Open Food Network is just a different way to use the tools uh, that uh, already exist, um, just in a different way that values privacy and values uh, respect and and just reflects the values that we're trying to, um, to have to see with how we practice farming. Right. So at the heart of this is how we have an economy that's um, working for people, how we create that trust economy that I think mm-hmm. our heart really yearns for. Yeah. So that's a big part of my operation is um, really just trying to take care of my local community. You know, I'm a very uh, think globally, act locally kind of person. So um, the more that I can do to just be, you know, basically just be a good neighbor and create those community relationships um, in my growing practices and um, in how I run my business is very important because um, uh, it allows me to to use my time in a way that I think is more ethical and kind of divest from more exploitative systems. And so you're you're actually borrowing small yards in South Minneapolis and bike delivering um, food. Yes. Yep, so I have a few people that are gracious enough to let me use space in their yard. Uh, I'm growing at a very small scale. You know, I think this year I'm going to be growing about a tenth of an acre. Um, So it's definitely a drop in the bucket, but, um, again, it's founded in this idea of strengthening local food systems, being more food self-sufficient, and really creating those um, self-resilient communities. And how did you – tell us about your personal background. Um, Well, I have a background in, uh, I've been doing small-scale agriculture for the last about four or five years, Um, and uh, also I've, you know, kind of had odd jobs uh, in order fulfillment, office management, things like that, as well as I've been a musician um, for, you know, my whole life. Um, So uh, what what inspired me about this project was kind of combining a lot of those different skills um, to and and applying the things that I had learned in small scale farming, which you know farming was never something that I saw myself doing again with the um, with the background that I have, but uh, it kind of snuck up on me as as something that could really uh, combine the things I want to do 
things that are necessary and things that I can do um, to to create to to do better for my community. Yeah, so you just sort of fell in love with it, and uh, yeah. and, and, and I mean, there's so many issues with the food system and with our culture and our economy, and and you know, it's how do we take a sad song and make something better, and and how do we find ways of using our agency to um, birth a different type of economic system? That's that's really what we're talking about here, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, that is kind of the the one thing that we do have control over is how we spend our time as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, I recognize that I'm saying that I have the, I have the privilege of kind of deciding that, um, you know, with, I, I think a lot of people don't have that opportunity, but um, what I am trying to do with the, that advantage that I have is to, uh, again, take care of my little corner of the world. You know, these are, these are big issues, but uh, maybe the one little thing that we can do is to change our relationship with, how we care for the earth, how we care for each other. Um, and so that's, yeah, it, farming checks so many different boxes. You know, it, it affects so many different um, larger issues, Being even though it's such a simple practice. Yeah, and so um, you have, um, you're now gardening, what, 10 lots in Minneapolis? Or how, how many lots do you have that... Um, I have four right now, and four. I'll be adding another one this year. So I'm trying to probably double my growing space. Um, and I'm, I'm so interested in that aspect of urban farming as well, um, kind of the, the visibility of it and also the uh, ability to re-envision space in an urban area, um, you know, kind of the foods, food versus lawns idea, um, which I think is really symbolic of of the bigger cultural shift that I'm trying to, or that I'd like to work towards, which is, again, you know, lawns being this dominance-based, you know, control kind of uh, situation, and then growing food being more of a cooperative model. Uh-huh. Right, and that, that control-based, extractive world um, is not working for water, it's not working for the planet, it's not working for people, and how do we create a, a more vibrant, thriving world that, that, um, that our, I think our heart really wants. Yeah. Well, I, I would say that if I had one message to get across, it would be that we just simply need more people engaging with this type of work. Um, and again, just by that simple practice of how we take care of our, how we uh, take care of our, our neighbors and our community and how that accumulates and how we can really create uh, resilient food systems and self-sufficient communities. Um, you know, I, I think just that simple action of making that more, making more of a connection with where your basic needs come from. Making our connections. So I thank yeah. you so much, Gloria, with taprooturbangardens.com. And thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio.